I actually know her last name. This is the first guest I actually know her last name. <laughs> Jesus. And I apologize for cursing in front of your kids. Sorry, you're probably not going to get great audio unless you want me to get home and then I can get back to y'all. So I do want to... So the best part is that y'all are sons of CPAs, which is why you're where you are today, or at least contributed to where you are today. And I'm a daughter of a tax preparer. And so that is why I'm where I am today. And I was very much a latchkey kid. I, I wanted to call this children of CPAs, but that just sounds like a horror movie. And that does? No, it sounds great. Sons of CPAs. Stephanie survives, we die. Stephanie, yeah. <laughs> the children. <laughs> It's totally possible. I think I would survive. I probably would throw y'all to the bears. Probably what would happen. Okay, introduce yourself, and then I have a very important question to ask to start. Stephanie Holt. I run cloud accounting and consulting out of a car. <laughs> You're asking about buddy. <laughs> Apparently, I'm just running out of a car. Any car doesn't necessarily have to be my car. Four years going on five. It's the brainchild of having been a one-man band bookkeeper, as well as being a team leader on a larger regional accounting firm. And that's me. That's us. And we're located in Paradise in Amelia Island, Florida. And how many clients do you have? Right around 60, but entity count is right around 160. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Okay. Important question. So we were in Nashville together. Yes. We went to Catbird Seat. Remember this. You enjoyed it. You, you, you and your husband enjoyed it. Yes. He hated the fact that he had to sit with me, Nicole, and Will. Uh, I know. We just need to get on a, we need to get on a plane and you and me and Josh and Marcus can go together. Scott was fine. Uh, Scott was fine. I, for the I will link, Scott was fine. I will link some Catbird Seat images or anything from that experience so anybody can see it maybe the picture of the toilet i wrote the review i wrote a review on it i'll have to send it i will put link to your review on these show notes anyway i'm it, proud of you that you because you, you'd never been to like a restaurant like that no and you embraced the craziness of it and the weirdness of it and you didn't complain. oh yeah it was super strange way outside of my comfort zone i'd never been to a, a tasting menu restaurant prior. It was a great time. I would do it all over again. It was delicious. Yeah, it was delicious. I loved it. That made us BFS for life. Uh, absolutely. The business of business. Let's talk some facts here. Fact. You are an accountant by trade. Fact. Do you enjoy this work? I do. Love it. Good. Back. Get started. Yes. No. Questions are over. Why'd you go to the bookkeeping route and not the tax route? The cyclicalness of tax season just seemed like the world's worst idea ever for, from a quality of life standpoint. And so when I was actually supposed to be a psychologist, that's what my degree is in. But I realized that I loved helping people. I just didn't love helping people necessarily like that. That makes sense. Yeah. I helped at the firm that my mom worked at, I did a lot of data entry stuff and that's how I put myself through college. And so I was like, I can help people continuing to do this. This is still helping people. Also being the daughter of a tax repair. Yeah. I think that people should be in this to help people. Honestly, we don't want to do the perfect books where somebody just wants services. If I can't add value, then I'm bored and miserable, frankly. I, that's 
why I'm in it. I love helping people. And that's why I left the regional accounting firm, the large regional accounting firm was because I couldn't help people the way I wanted to. There was far more restrictions in place in a firm that size than there is by myself and not even by myself, but with my team, my small team, I get to decide what our risk and liability exposure is. And so that was one of the other contributing factors was being able to help people the way that I wanted to help people. I love that. When you decided to open up your own firm, what was like, what was the biggest decision? Like what, what caused that decision to happen? In other words, why did you go off on your own? Why did I go off on my own? Because I like to operate with my foot on the gas pedal and my hand on the emergency brake. That's how I like to do things. That's not the way that you can function in a more traditionalist, regional size, 150 employee accounting firm, especially not in the deep South good old boy world. After many attempts of just trying to ram the wall and get my way, I just, I was exhausted. Knowing that something is going to be really good for a firm and really good for all of the people in your department that you have to fight tooth and nail for it. It's just exhausting. Once I realized that every improvement that I wanted to make in the department, I was going to have to fight tooth and nail for, I was like, I don't want to die early. CPAs, shoot. I know four CPAs that have passed away in the last five years from heart attacks. I'm like, this might be why. And so I just was like, no, this isn't worth it. And I, I didn't want to have to leave. I loved my team. I we There was a team of 18 of us. And I enjoyed the opportunities that being at a large regional firm gave me as far as working with uh, larger mid-market clients and the challenges that they have versus the smaller small business clients. But at the end of the day, quality of life wasn't there. So you say the good old boy, you say the Southerners. A lot of people feel put off by the situations that they're in and they're becoming change agents within the industry. We're seeing people that want to change and see a bigger picture, but a lot of the trends have been people that have been marginalized. So it's, there's a lot of patterns within our industry and a lot of others, just the ones that are really making the change tend to be people that have been marginalized within this industry. Yeah. And what's really sad is the hard lessons learned that a lot of these companies, larger firms or I don't know if some of those people that you've already, you know, interviewed have come from smaller firms, but I suspect that there are just as many small firms that aren't ready to go through the change management process as there is large firms. But it seems like at least from the It's a mindset that can't be changed. So there's some mindsets in the... I think that it can be, but nobody wants to take the risk or at least this was my perception, and this has been my perception with other firms that I've seen go through this, is that nobody wants to take the risk of trying. However, they lose a bunch of wonderful human capital assets in the process. And then it seems like slowly but surely push, pull, or drag, they end up in that direction anyways. But it took losing these human capital assets to being willing to go that direction. And that just seems crazy to me. So it takes losing in order to be willing to go in another direction. Yeah. So that's, but that's them losing their place on the pedestal or toppling over a little bit to then realize what they need. 
Um, well, absolutely. There's definitely losses in those gains, but not for an accounting pun. I did not mean an accounting pun, <laughs> but it's true. I've witnessed it. The amount of employees that leave or job satisfaction declining, all the things that happen before they end up making that move, either because their customer base forces them or because they realize they can't get the human capital that they're looking for because they're not doing the things that other places are doing. But that's really interesting. I've never really heard the empathetical take. A lot of these people don't have any reason to change and they don't want to move at all until they're really forced. And who can blame them? Making a lot of money. I can, because I would have loved to have stayed in that job, but I wasn't going to risk my health and welfare and sanity for it. That's the truth that Ackerman's trying to digest right now. What we care about most is that we are not creating environments like that. And I think that the only way to do that is to talk about what people hate the most and make sure that we're doing the opposite. Absolutely. Yeah, we, you got to have open conversations with your team and make sure that you're providing that opportunity to grow and accept ideas. So when you were starting your own firm, and you talked about all these things you didn't like. What was the one thing you wanted to make sure that this new firm had that would attract people and make people happy? The technology. I didn't call it cloud accounting to just uh, rob the industry of the token term. It's that there wasn't anybody focusing on cloud-based accounting in my area. And so I wanted to make it very apparent what we were doing, what we were trying to accomplish. And even when we talk to new client prospects, we talk about the fact that cloud accounting provides transparency as a concept through these app partners. And I, I want to have as much transparency with the client as the client is, is willing to take. We have a lot of clients that don't even access it, but it's there. If they want that transparency, it's there for them to access. And I think that's important because that's something that the legacy systems is definitely a detriment to a client. I think transparency is liberating. It's freeing for a lot of people too. And it provides a lot of accountability. If you know that client can see that work, you're not going to drag your feet on working through those bank fee transactions that week or take your liberty to do something or not post something or whatever the case may be. So I think that it's great because it provides accountability for the firm, but it also provides transparency and trust and accountability for the client as well. Yeah. Full transparency and accountability. It's black and right. white. The team's approach to things when clients don't respond, the client all of a sudden needs something out of nowhere and they're, they want things turned around. It's always the ones that don't respond because they can't manage their own time. So they can't respond to anybody. It's just a matter of what they need. I think that's the other two is just breaking bad habits. That's something that we have to do even with a lot of our clients that I would consider A and B clients is just breaking bad habits. I realized that these people sat at a desk and you're in turn and burned emails back and forth to you all day long, you know what I mean? And that's what you're used to, but that's not what we do. So the key to breaking a bad habit is to make it hard or make it difficult to see, make it invisible almost. So how do you make a bad habit invisible for somebody? Oh, just, you know, Expecting something to be turned around impossibly quickly, I think is a bad habit. And we all get into situations where it's like, hey, I really need a favor here. And then there's the people that are just habitual offenders. And I think we all know with those, right? Everybody's got an example of a client that only waits until the 11th hour after making every effort to get things, but then is also the first one to be like, I wanted this yesterday. And then, so then in the beginning of that, when you said expectations, how do you make an expectation 
so clear that there's no room for ambiguity because if the an expectation is super clear on what and when we talk about a client appointments, we talk about turnaround time. We any of the thing they're going to push limits. You have a lot of different personality types that you're dealing with, and there's a, a whole subset personality type out there that's yes, I know that I agreed to that, and yes, I know that this is outside of the scope or the the expectations that you set for that, but I'm going to do it anyways. And those people, you just have to either make the effort to keep pulling them back in, you know what I mean? And getting them to go with the flow of traffic, or you do the hard thing of cutting them loose as a client. It just depends on the risk versus reward for you, you know, what your firm is getting out of it, whether it's a learning opportunity on a new client type. A lot of the value that I bring from one client to the other is because I've seen something or I've experienced something already. So sometimes just because a client's got a high PETA factor, pain, pain in the ass, by the way, just because they have a high PETA factor doesn't mean that there's not value. There might be a learning for you or for your team member that they get to bank and then capitalize on with another client at a later date. I thought you were talking about PETA, like the animal people. No. Now what? Yeah. She's from Florida, so yeah. Look at me about we're a PETA. Yeah, we don't even think we have a PETA in Florida. No, so. no. It seems like you're really good at like seeing if clients are going to be a good fit for you. Maybe you're not. So, how do you go about when you're meeting with these potential clients? What are your are there a couple of questions that you ask? What are you looking for? It's typically all pretty off the cuff. It's definitely a mojo reader, which is not something so definitive, but it's, are they giving the same signals that you typically see and that you typically look for? If you've ever been through rainmaker training or even nonverbal cues training or any of those things, and it's, are they crossing their arms? Are they making eye contact? Have they repeated something to you that you've said that makes it seem like they understand? If you're able to do this, because I know that I, I agree with you, it's hard to explain some of the certain techniques that you're doing, that a lot of right. you're doing, the only way you could see if it's working is if you don't have, if you have a good set we, of clients, you look at your clients, you're like, we, I have only had to let go of three clients because of behavior. And I would say of those three, only one of them like full-blown snowballed me. Like I didn't see it coming at all. The other two. Wait, tell us, tell us what the behavior was. What do you mean? Like how I got snowballed? Yeah, this yeah, uh, one that made it out, it, is this some kind of sociopath? Like how did they um, slip in? Potentially. I can't, I'm not insured to use any of psych education, but no, they came in under the guise as a happy married couple who had just had a terrible experience with somebody local for bookkeeping and tax, which they, that CPA firm is it's not, it's undeniable that they probably had a terrible experience. We won't even work with that CPA firm. If clients come in and say that they're working with them, I'm like, well, you can work with us or you can work with them, but you can't work both of us because we won't expose ourselves to their crappy work. And they seemed very, this is cool. This is great. We can totally do this. And we basically got gaslighted for about three or four months. And then turns out that they were getting a divorce. Oh. And the real reason that they hired us is because they wanted us to clean up the books so that they could figure out what everything was worth. All of the claws came out. So where was your blind spot on that one? How did you miss it? Man, I was really pissed at myself for missing it because I consider myself a pretty decent judge of character and being able to pick up on those sorts of things. Were they sweet talking to you the whole way through? I think it was That's just... Okay, me. 
That's they were doing, I don't think that they were sweet talking me. It was just that they basically, they agreed that there was value in what we do. I'm like, perfect. They see value in what we do. This is great. Check the box. They seemed to be very appreciative of all of the systems and processes that we put in the place. You know what I mean? So it's all like, oh, perfect. Check the box. Anything that we came up with as far as a, a workflow to better mitigate some of the ditches that they had in their accounting processes, like they seemed like they were quick to adopt, you know what I mean? So it was yeah. just very like check. And I always say, oh, oh, this criteria makes a good client. If they're going to pay enough, I overlook it. I'm usually blind to it. So I think now what I'm trying to do is see if people are going to compliment or saying anything nice. That's a signal. They know how to butter you up. I, I try to do this and I'm full of shit. Three kids in the car. So it does, man. It's okay. They totally know they're not bad words. They're adult words. We call them adult words in our house. They're not bad. They're just adult. But so they he just got to the age where he knows that and he calls me out on it. So I'm a, a little self-conscious now. This one, he'll call me out. He'll go, language, mother. But he is being respectful right now. He's not speaking up. I, I commend yeah. you. Yes. Yeah. He's, uh, but they know they're, they're, they're smart and respectful kids. Yeah. So no apologies needed and it's okay. It's about using them in context and knowing your audience. Validation. Yes. And contextual. So I think a lot of my A clients that have a low PETA factor that pay their bill on time, they're very complimentative of what we do. Like people that are like, I don't know what I would do without you, but you're so amazing. I'm, I'm totally with you, but it's before they know you in a consult, can they compliment you? You've never met me before. Yeah. Don't throw out empty compliments. Yeah. They might've just got turned down by another account and saw through a lot. And then now they're, they're really trying to get somebody to like them because nobody's going to work with them. So now they're actually trying. Well, and the other thing is, is like when I'm doing those getting to know you prospect consults, the way that I'm talking to you guys is the same way that I talk to clients. I don't, there's no veil. There's no schmoozing. I'm like, you're either on the train or you're not on the train. And that helps too, because the client that can't appreciate that or take it with a, take it for what it is, like they're not a good fit either. Hold on one second. <laughs> Tutoring's done. Hi. I did see you. Do I say hi to Mr. Jason and Mr. Scott? <laughs> it's Dr. Jason. They're like big brothers or little brothers. The I haven't decided. Little brothers. I don't know. Yeah, I like big brothers better. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know if you're worthy. Jason no. is. Scott's See, question. Not a I'm just as bad as Scott. Uh, <laughs> this is true. Remote work. Yeah. Half, half car, then laptop. Anyway, the tutor needs to get paid. We know that. Pay the tutor. <laughs> Give her the money. Does she accept Venmo? Are we doing the book TV for the tutor? Yeah, I want to see the Venmo trail. This is real life. This is called being a mom owning an accounting firm in 2000. This is owning an accounting firm. So what do you do when, uh, how do you go about firing the client? I make up a really good excuse as to why they can't work with us anymore. It's not, you suck, you're fired. There's very few that I've literally said, take your marbles and get the hell out of here. I have done that too. So. Well, nobody deserves that. No, no person deserves some, either. Some people might. Well, they might, but that's, that's only in the heat of an argument that you would actually tell them in that tone. That's an argument. Right. But if it's for real, you got to respect them too. Even though they suck, you, you almost feel bad for them. You're so funny. It's simply like, if that's how you feel, then I don't think that we're a good fit, which still comes off pretty much like 
F you. See, I could be empathetic. You're respecting them as much as you respect yourself. At least that's what I Well, and the other thing is that even in those situations, I don't ever leave them hanging. I'm like, hey, we're make, looking to make this transition in the next 30 days. So here's how I see this going for a timeline. When it's bad blood, it's bad blood. And if you want to set the, fire, the bridge on fire as you walk across it, that's your business. But I think if you can prevent it and give an exit strategy and lay out how that's going to look, then... I think that's the best business practice because ultimately even the ones with a high PETA factor, I don't want to leave them high and dry. I still want what's best for their business. I just can't let their toxic behaviors into my firm anymore. Yeah. So you keep on saying PETA factor. Do you actually rank your clients? Give them I do. a PETA factor? Yes. Everybody had rank I one to ten. This. So what do you, so when you rank them one to 10, because I, I'm so excited. You, is it one to 10? How do you do the rate? It's yeah, it's one to 10. I would say most clients don't get a one anyways, just because there's always some. Wait, like one is the lowest, the best? One is the lowest. That is Christ. Yeah. Ackerman's yeah, listening. Yeah, listening. Like literally, like my associates will text me and be like, we got a PETA factor of 10 going on over here on such and such client. Can you help us out? So how often do you do, so how often do you do these rankings? When we're prepping for tax 1099. So like at the end of the year, I'm like, because that's usually. And like, to clarify, you said tax 1099 could be a sponsor. Yeah. When they're using them if they sponsor this pod. Yeah. I'll reach out. Nice. To you should. You should. Love them. Yeah. Ed is amazing at tax 1099. He's good, good peoples. Okay, so uh, a beta factor. So you go with factor. December. Yep. So do you do, so you do 160 or do you 60? No, just the people. It's not about the entities. It's the people. So talk about your process of doing just you. Is it your whole team? No, I talk to the team. I meet with each one of my team members every week. They all have a carve out of Stephanie time. Around that time of year, I'm like, so how have things been going? Or we'll even just have a review. Hey, this year has been really hard with this client. Or this year has been great with this client. Or whatever it is. What is it that we can do to improve? Like, how do we need to change? What kind of behavior modification can we do to make our job easier? Is there anything that we're leaving off the table that would make them seem less of a pain in the ass? And then and then we just can do a loose ranking of where they're at. The What's really funny is the ones that are on the high end, they're like the problem children, right? In the class, you know who those are going to be. Like it's, oh, they're definitely going to rate top 10. You know what I mean? Do you take any action? If they get rate to 10, what are you doing? We talk about it. Basically, if it's process related, then we usually put something into play that says, hey, these are the expectations of the engagement. We want to remind you of them. If you're not able to meet them, that's fine. Now, the value add of my staff chasing you for this information is higher. And so therefore your cost is just going to go up. It's totally up to you. But if we can't get this open items list down to less than 10 a week, then this is going to be your new fixed price. How do you say that in so many words, but give them an actionable thing to do? Just like that. Okay. And then how many women actually change or how many just pay? 50, 50, 50, I would say a hundred percent of them claim to attempt to change and then 50% of them actually do. And then the other 50, we just say, Hey, like we're not seeing the success. And they're like, I know I'm sorry. And then they're like, bill me. That's good. So you made more money. 
So. Right. So how do you translate that to a team member that's not up to par? Let's say a team member or somebody. My team members are awesome. All right. What if we have a team member? That but you said you had to, to you, we've talked in the past about one team member that you either fired or let go or was not performing. Yes. Yep. So, so how, with them, did you approach it this way? Because it's almost like if you use this technique with in the other direction, you I mean, that's basically an action plan. You can't raise the price of a team member, but you lower what you pay them, or are you not allowed to do that? No, I would never do that because I don't think that, I think even if you could, you wouldn't. Why would you do right. a client then? I would never lower a client's pay for being No, 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 no. But you would raise their rate in order to- For being more. For them- well, That's a control the factor ass. though, too. Well, right. About a team member, right? You well, I think- Because they're paid in the S. No, because the relationship between an employer and an employee and the relationship between a client and a service provider are- Two totally different dynamics. Why? You know, why does it have to be different? If we want to help people, why is it any different for an employee or a client? It just is, Scott. I don't. So, how did you handle the employee who was not for them? It's trying to get them to meet the expectations the same way, except for that ultimately you don't have the same options. Where if they don't meet the expectations, so it's with a client, you've got step one, step two. Step one is try to get them to to meet the expectations of the engagement. Step two is if they don't, that you're going to increase the I price. I would argue you do have team. You do have that with a team member because you have a warning one and a warning two. Third strike. I'm not saying that you can't give multiple opportunities to meet those expectations. I'm simply saying that beyond trying to meet those expectations, there's not anything beyond that other than a potentially termination. With a client, you can get them to try to meet those expectations and then they don't. And then you can tell them your price is going to have to go up. And then they can say, that's fine. And then 30 days later, they're notifying you that they're leaving your firm. Now, I've never had that happen to me, but I would be arrogant to think that it couldn't. Whatever the value, the perceived value to the client. I think, I think it's just as important to do with a team member. The other thing is not setting people up for failure. I know of a lot of companies, like they want their people to grow. And I think that that's great. I, I think that it's great to want people to grow, but there's a whole entire subset personality out there that is the steady Eddie personality that's just happy to know how to be successful in their job and to replicate that for 20 years. They don't want to grow. Now, I think that's indicative of a lot of companies and what the company is trying to create. And if you want to be an innovative company, then you have to have innovative thinkers, which typically are not steady Eddie. There's also a place in this world for steady Eddies. And so I think it's more of just saying, hey, can you meet this expectation? And if you can't, is there a role within the company where you could be successful potentially? I would think that really just depends on that person, the role that they're in, and then the opportunity that's still available. But I don't think that you can take somebody that you've hired in as senior management and then go, but you can be an accounting associate. But if you brought somebody in at at one level, and maybe they really could be successful a level down or in a different role if it's a large enough firm. I think there's definitely opportunities to move people around that aren't meeting expectations in their current roles, but it just depends on what kind of ground you're trying to cover with the lack of expectations. Is it a skill set that you're looking for that they just don't have, or is it their interest in the job? No, that goes back to expectations. What we were talking right. about earlier, coming at things with the right expectations for the team and clients. 
I think setting expectations in the beginning is hard thing to do. Actually, one of my favorite things to do because it's the roadmap to success, right? Whether you're a client or an associate, it's if you do these things, you push these buttons and you pull these levers, you are going to be successful with this engagement with this client in this business. And then when they're not pulling the level levers and pushing the right buttons and the things aren't happening, it's a very easy conversation to say, hey, remember when we were talking about in order for us to get you to hear, you would need to do this so that we can do that. It's a very easy conversation to have. Like probably one of my favorite conversations to have. If you do this, then you do that. Those are, those are good conversations to have if you have the answers before you have the conversation. And if you've set the expectation that those things exist and that they have to be done, which is what we've done. When you're very clear on that and you execute it, there's nobody can argue with that. And if you like, can't execute it, you can still clearly articulate why you can't. And therefore it's, you're not the one holding the bag. So we're going to call this, uh, like, what is it? Taking names or something like that? Breaking backs and taking names or breaking knees and taking names. Oh, geez. What is that? What's the break? That sounds super mobster. I think it's uh, kicking ass and taking names. Kicking ass and taking names. That's what you're doing. You're setting expectation and breaking bad habits. Okay. I don't setting expectations and breaking names or breaking bad habits. You seem far more convicted of it than I am, but I believe you through me. So where do you see your firm in five years? Mm. million dollar question i could have answered it better a year ago i will say that. No, no, that that's fun all right so a year ago what would you have said what yeah. would you tell yourself five years ago and what would your future self in five years tell you now i'll answer both i'll answer both five years ago i was crying on riverside trying to figure out if i needed to quit my job if somebody had come up to me and said you're going to own a successful cloud accounting business on the island and you're going to have amazing job satisfaction i probably would have laughed at them in their face but now you're the one laughing because you well, I just, I just think that there's a season for everything. It's just five years ago, I wouldn't have thought that I'm, I would have been here. So I'll make a prediction for five years from now that we can all laugh at when I plan and God laughs. Five years ago, you were crying. This year, you're killing it. You're kicking ass and taking names. You're... Uh, Breaking bad habits. It's just not going to be probably what I think it is today. So in five years, I would say our team would be large enough to serve another 50 to 100 clients. I'd love to get to the place where we had a nice, strong leadership structure and I could get involved in other things. You are kicking ass and taking names. And in five years, you're going to tell yourself, why are you thinking too small? You're going to be way past this. Honestly, the idea of cloud accounting staying like a manageable size and not be required to be a part of cloud accounting on a day in, day out basis, it has its appeal. I'm not going to lie. And I've got a little, I've got a little serial entrepreneurialism in me. I've got four different business ideas in my back pocket right now that I would love to execute. And so... I'd love to get it to a size where I can have those team leaders in place so that I could spend a little time trying to explore those ideas. That's beautiful. But. 
That's great. Okay. Anything else you want to say? This has been taking up too much of your time. I got some good quotables. This is, no, this has been great. You guys are great. No, I would just say my, my last thoughts on this is that it's always worth it, whatever it is, whether somebody's listening to this as an aspiring accounting firm owner, or you currently own a firm, but you are on the cusp of change management and you haven't figured out, like you haven't bit the bullet yet. It's always worth it. Just do it. Be like Nike. You good. Just do it. Just do it. A closing thought. It's worth it. I, we had a real closing thought. Yeah. It's not. That's so great. First one. This is the best. So excited. I need a two week vacation. Now it's not great. Is a closing thought. Stephanie, Cole, Cloud, Stephanie. This has been amazing. Stephanie, keep up your good work. Keep up. Remember, is she managing? She literally has her three kids in the car. Just, I love it. This is great. Yeah. If you want it all, you have to figure out how to juggle it. And that's what we do. This is 2021 right here. Jason's so successful, though, because instead of knowing the people that are doing the things, he's spending his time doing the things. I like that right there.